As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute and I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to our Laz and Powers. This is Scott Powers joined by Mark Lazarus. We're both of The Athletic. We're, uh, yeah, we're finally just the two of us. It's been a, uh, been a minute since we haven't had a uh, special guest on. Well, we had uh, with Corey Prom and then Marion Hosa. And now it's just, unfortunately, just you and I. Well, as you can see, I have a special guest with me. It's Carlton, the Toronto Maple Leafs mascot, life-size, I think this one is, because I've been banished to my seven-year-old's bed to record this podcast, The Ultimate Indignity, because the, the, the room I usually use is being occupied by my 10-year-old, who is doing art. She says she's making props for a play that my daughters are putting together called The Secret Lives of Mascots. So we're literally, we're one day into Christmas break and we're so far off the rails already. It's going to be a long two and a half weeks. What sort of secret lives do they have, you think? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I thought we were going to watch a movie or something tonight, but apparently I'm getting a show. Yeah, you know, can we strong. can we record that and just make that the podcast? I, 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 <laughs> I know, right? Might be more interested in that. <laughs> it'd certainly be more uplifting than talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, no, it's it's gotten bad. Uh, it, we'll we'll have to get like a podcast like uh, Hogan Johns, you know, like where people uh, go on YouTube and they can actually see you and your you and your teddy bear. Yeah, I mean, I got I got Carlton here. I've got uh, the Lightning mascot Thunderbug. I've got uh, Harvey the Hound. I saw Mister Met floating around somewhere. Oh, here's Mister Met. Mr. Met says hi. It's uh, Mr. Mr. Met is very rich these days, huh? He's having a let's do a Mets podcast. I can talk all <laughs> week long right now about the Mets. There is news, there is happiness, there is joy. It's a complete opposite of what a Cubs failure. podcast is right now. I, 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 yeah, I, but, I but, feel bad but for wouldn't it be, of. 
wouldn't it be peak Mets if they spend literally half a billion dollars on a roster and lose in the wild card round again? Yeah, but at least they make the playoffs, right? Like, I feel like you you need to spend money now, like to ensure, like this idea of spending smart money. Like, if the Cubs had spent the amount of money they did this season last off season, they probably would have been in contention. You know, like everything they would have cost them last year that they balked at. Like, you could have brought back all those players, and and regardless of what you think of Bryant, and I'm just yeah, I'm gonna go off the rails here myself. I just oh please, uh, yeah, Dansby <laughs> Swanson is is fine. He's not. He wasn't the premier shortstop available, and. He is not no, the, fixing everything yeah, wrong. The Mets got him and moved to third base. <laughs> yeah, God, it's just, uh, yeah, that Carrera thing is just that's that's crazy. It, it's it's it is insane being a Mets fan, right? Because we're just used to bad things happening and bad ownership with the Will Ponds and all that, and to all of a sudden have basically George Steinbrenner as our owner. Yeah, you become like Man insane. City over there. It's like a Manchester City. It's crazy, and it, it's hard too because, like, you know, you wonder what the NHL would look like if they had baseball's system, right? With the taxing and the revenue sharing, like a lot of these owners, Rocky Wirtz doesn't have Steve Cohen money, but he's got billions. The Molsons have billions. Comcast has billions. Uh, Leonis has billions. What would the league look like if there wasn't a hard salary cap in the NHL? If it was just a luxury tax, would you, would it be like the mid nineties when the Rangers basically bought a Stanley cup? Would you have teams with $150 million payrolls right now? Would Connor McDavid have a $25 million salary? It's wild to think about. Yeah, it would. Uh, I feel like there'd be a lot more bad contracts, right? Like, I guess it'd just be. A oh, bad God, contract. yes. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine some of the contracts that would get handed out? Yeah. At, at the other end, there would be teams that just would be paying very so little. Like, they couldn't even. Uh, like, th- there is some parity because of the, the salary cap and the teams that. Yeah, the have-nots would definitely oh, yeah. be have-nots, right? Like, it just, it would... Uh... I, I, I'd like to see, with baseball, like, I'm generally pro-player. Like, I want, I'm pro-labor. I want to see the players get as much as they get. You, you know, you read Sean Gentile's uh, interview with Eric Lindros in the NHL 99 today, and it's great, because Lindros, Lindros got a really bad rap when he was a player in the 90s. Everyone called him, like, a whiner, and this, that, and the other thing. And now he's looked at as, like, a pioneer for player empowerment. And it's a good thing, and, you know, hey, Go get your bag. You know, I don't feel bad for billionaires who have to shell out this money and they're profiting off of them anyway. So, hey, go get your money. But what baseball needs is a salary floor. That's what the NHL has that's really important, I think, is the salary floor. Like if the Pittsburgh Pirates had to spend at least $70 million on their team, they'd be a lot more competitive than they are at 30 when the Mets are at $480 million. It's just crazy. Yeah, something I'll get into. I want to write about probably close to the deadline, but the Blackhawks are going to really struggle to get near the, the, the floor next year. Like it's, it's going to yeah. be a massive challenge. Like I, I want, I think they're going to try to take on another contract or two at the deadline. Um, but even then, like I, you know, like maybe Tenorti gets like a fifteen million dollar extension, or you know, like something. Like I just, <laughs> it's like it, they're going to spend some stupid money, and and they don't want to spend it. Like I don't think they're at the point where they want to invest in anyone. Um, it's not, I don't think there's any great free agents and it's not like, I don't think they're going to, um, you know, like they're not going to try to, uh, yeah, I don't think do anything crazy right now, even with, uh, 
um, yeah, with uh, just signing yeah. anyone to bring aboard. But I, I think they're going to have some challenges because once you lose $21 million in Kane and Taves and, and people keep on talking about Seth Jones, but Seth Jones actually helps them. Like they need a few more Seth Jones contracts, at least in the short term, because it, to get to 60, whatever million it is, like it's, it's, yeah, you can't tough. trade him to Ottawa right now. You need that. You need that. Yeah, no, that that's, that's a necessity. So like, I, I think, I think a couple of guys will get paid really nicely. And I think they're in a position where um they're almost in a position where they, 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 like I know it's going to look like the other team needs to trade a contract, but the Blackhawks are in a position too where they they need to take on the contract because it's, yeah, um, yeah it, it, there's a lot of money that falls off there, and there's not a lot of, other than Seth Jones and, um, and I guess Tyler Johnson makes what five million and Connor Murphy, but it, it I mean yeah once you lose twenty one million it 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 depletes pretty quickly. Well, it'll be interesting to see like if the Blackhawks win the draft lottery. I was, I was, I was thinking of offer sheet. Like the, I couldn't, the, word, the word I couldn't think about was offer sheet. And the, yeah, they're not going to offer sheet. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. It'd be, it'd be fun if the Blackhawks just played the offer sheet card. That'd be great. Well, I, well um, right now they'd lose, their, they'd lose their first pick then. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a, there's a minor problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm curious because if they do get Connor Bedard, if they win the draft lottery and they pick Connor Bedard, might they be more interested in giving him somebody to play with? these next couple of years. Might that speed up the process of getting free agents? Because if they don't get Bedard or Fantilli, then they're going to tank again next year. Well, the, I, I, so I don't think that's what anyone tank? really realizes is that, that next year might be worse than this year. Like it, I think Krachinski's here. I think Bedard or Fantilli or whomever might be here. You know, yeah, if, if any of those guys are probably here other than Mitchkoff. Um, but I think next year is even worse. Like you, you lose, you lose Cannon Taves, even if you don't trade them. I don't think they're resigning them. I, I think uh, you lose Anathasiu, Domi, and maybe you, you replace those players with similar type players that you, you probably want to pay and try to flip. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't see them diving in. Like there's just not a lot of big names. Like the guys you want to, yeah, I, I think, I think you want a certain type of player to be around those guys. Like you want the right veterans, but you also don't want to, like I think the last thing Kyle Davidson wants to do right now is also to burden himself with a bad contract. Like you want, you don't want to bring a guy on. It, it's oh, here it'll, it'll be all one year deals. It'll be all one year, yeah, one and two so, year deals. Yeah. But but I mean, uh, most most hockey players don't want that. You know, most most players when they when they're UFAs, they're looking for the five or six year deal to yeah to put a cap on the career and you know really well. You know, that, that's you, you're yeah. going to get like you said, you're going to get another Max Domi type, another Andreas Athanasiu type, a guy who's looking to resurrect his career or prove he could still play, get some big minutes. Uh, the, the attraction of potentially playing with Connor Bedard would draw players to come here for maybe a one-year prove-it deal. Yeah. Where they go, yeah. you know, let me go play with this kid, set him up for a whole ton of goals, make make my bank that way by doing that. Like, it will be appealing to players. Someone like Patrick Kane might be more willing to come back if he's playing with a Connor Bedard, even if he's been traded it's not inconceivable. I'm not saying it's likely, but yeah. it's not inconceivable that he'd be like, you know what? I can come back to Chicago. I can play with this kid. I can make, they can give me all the money in the world because they got to get to the floor. You pay Patrick Kane, $12 million one year contract next year to play with Connor Bedard. That'd be incredible, highly unlikely, but those kind of things become feasible when you have an attraction like Connor Bedard. I, I was on, I actually had this thought earlier today. I thought that depending on what they can get from Max Domi, which I, I mean, I'll, everyone's told me now like a third or fourth round pick and I, and maybe that's worth it for the Blackhawks. But Domi might be the type of player that you say, you know, if you come back next year, we'll give you six, seven million dollars. And, it, 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 you know, like you're probably not going to get that anywhere else. But it's sort of it, you fill a need salary wise, but you also fill a need. Um, you know, I, I 
you know, I, I think we've heard positive things about him. At least certainly our experience has been positive. Like he's as playing long pretty as, well. As, yeah. I mean, as long as he's ty- the type of player they want to, you know, like to bring that type of player that you're familiar with, that's familiar with Richardson, like someone like that might make sense for them to be back. Uh, yeah. And, and, and fill multi, you know, purposes. Yeah. I mean, well, why not? He seems happy. He's, you know, he had, he, he cracked a joke today at the morning skate or at, at the practice. He's uh you know, someone, I think it was Joe Brand at WGN asked him, like, hey, you got any plans for Christmas? And he goes, yeah, my family's visiting. You know, I was in Columbus for two years and nobody ever visited me. But now I'm in a nice city and people want to come visit me. And I tweeted out because it's, hey, hey, ha, ha, funny. And oh, my God, my t- my mentions are just a shit show for the next week and a half now because of this. I've ruined Christmas with Max Domi making a joke. Was uh, Hedger upset, you know, too? I'm sure. I haven't heard from him yet, but I'm sure he will. <laughs> I, I don't know. He says... You know, I I know that Columbus has this like uh, an unfair inferiority complex because they lose so many free agents and everyone shits on them as a town. I like Columbus. It's a really nice place to live. It's a big city. It's got good restaurants. It's got bars. It's a nice place to be. You know, Jack Johnson and Connor Murphy, they love it there. They've made it their permanent homes. A lot of people like Columbus. Columbus is fine. Max only made a joke. Relax. Just relax. Let's not let's not try to stomp on the one guy with personality, the one guy who will make a joke like that. Let's not let's not make him, you know, turn into every other hockey player. I get the sense that he doesn't care though. Like I mean, he knows what he's saying. I right? hope not. Yeah, I like Max. I, I you know when when Joby came and uh, you know Mike Russo was out at the player tour in Las Vegas and he was texting me, "Oh my God, you're gonna love Max Domi. He's great." And I'm like, "All right, we'll see. He's great. He's funny. He's available. He likes to talk. He's happy to see you." And, and to talk about whatever, uh, the, his teammates seem to like him. I know that he gets a lot of shit because he takes some penalties. There's some Andrew Shaw in there with some of the penalties he takes. But he's been a good player for the Blackhawks. He's been arguably their most consistent forward this year. So uh, it, it's possible. I mean, why not? He likes it here. And uh, if he's willing to, to, to suck it up in the, in the next few years and come out the other end, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, I'm. I think money also allows people to suck it up a little bit easier, right? Like it just it, it eases. Yeah, he's things. not getting seven million anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you also, I don't know if you ticked them off, but you you raised the the airs of the Nashville crowd yesterday too with your your column about how, um, as bad as the Blackhawks tanking is, that it it's it. it that you don't necessarily want to be in the situation the Predators who, um, don't have any outlook for the future because of how their contracts are you know, built and how the team's built. And, um, and it sounds like people are like, Oh, what, you know, what do you fuck you saying? But then they, they sort of read the column and, and seemed to be like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the, the initial tweet I put out after the game made it sound worse than I probably was. And then everybody read the stories like, Oh no, no, I agree with this. And you know, <laughs> this is true. It's we're, we're, we're totally screwed in Nashville. It's a shame. It's just like, it's just a truly terribly built team. Like, I don't know what the hell David Poyle is doing there. Everyone signed for like 30 years at $8 million, and none of them's a top guy. Roman Yossi is a top guy. UC Soros is a great I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk about Roman Yossi in Nashville anymore. (laughs) Everybody thought I was just saying, oh, this is the asshole in Chicago who left Yossi off his doors pal. Like, no, that's not I I should have probably put him fourth or fifth, but my my whole thing is that I – it's not the best offensive defenseman. Like his his defensive metrics were just god awful. Like there are other people that put him further down, and maybe you can argue that he should have been fourth or fifth, and maybe he should have been on my ballot. But he he should not have won the Norris last. Well, year. you're talking to the guy who, God forbid, once left Patrice Bergeron off his Selkie ballot a few years ago, and I still get probably five or ten, five to ten tweets a week, a week still. 
from Bruins fans mad at me about that. No. I mean, Elliot Friedman left him off his ballot that year, too. 11 of us out of 100 did. And I don't think anyone else gets that shit. I just don't you know, come at me. Yeah, <laughs> I had run I, number one last I, year. He'll probably be number one this year. But there's no digging out of that hole. No, I, I, I told you, it's been a lifesaver not seeing the tweets of people who don't follow me. Like, there's just, I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of natural tweets out there that <laughs> who think they're they're talking to me, but I never see it just because it was that filter was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because when, when I left the arena last night, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be Nashville fans. I mean, I, I, I fully stand by what I wrote and I'm 100% correct. There's nothing worse than being permanently mediocre. That's what the Blackhawks have been for the last five years. They're finally doing something. It's like being the 2010s Bulls, right? Where you're just trying to get one round of playoff revenue. You're just trying to squeak into the playoffs and get a, it's an awful, awful place to be with no hope whatsoever. So I, I left the arena going, my, my drive home going, oh, I'm going to get home to like a million tweets of people just saying what an asshole I am. And then I got home and almost every single tweet's like, oh, yeah, we're totally screwed. This is spot on. Like Nashville knows what's up. Yeah, no, that's uh, good for them. Um, what um, you you were at the game last night? It, it feels like it, like many games as of late, where there's some hope and then there's no hope, and it just I they have two eight. What's it? Two eight game losing streaks now within separated within, by one win. Yeah, that's that was it. The <laughs> Rangers win. Yeah. Sixteen. Yeah, they lost sixteen to seventeen games. It's almost. Like, I remember during Jeremy Colleton's first year, they had two eight-game losing streaks. They were separated by a few months, and I couldn't believe Like, how do you have two eight-game losing streaks in one year? They basically have two consecutive eight-game losing streaks. They went almost 23 periods without even leading a game. That is unfathomable. They, they scored twice in, like, 37 seconds last night or a Wednesday night, and it was their first lead in 400. 156 minutes, I think it was. Like, how do you not accidentally like bounce a puck in off your ass early in a game and take a one nothing lead? Yeah. Like, it is incredible just how bad this team has been. I, I guess and what's it, incredible like is Kyle Davidson probably feels like for two weeks here. You guys are asking like, what, what am I going to do if things don't go bad? Here? <laughs> he's like, I told you so. I wasn't worried. <laughs> As he's flying around the world looking at prospects, and yeah, he wasn't. Uh, I, I I think the only misstep that that they've done in this in this teardown may have been how they've dealt with Soderblom. I, I think. I think they broke him a little bit like where he, he gave up seven the other day and then he played in rock for two days later and gave up five or six. Like it's, they need this kid from all accounts early in the season is going to be the future number one. And he he looked pretty good, but things got bad there. And I know they wanted to keep him in net and like, it's, I, I, there there was talk before the season about signing another veteran. And I know that would have complicated things, but I, I think, I think right now he's not in a good place. Like it just, I, I think he got be, like, he, he wasn't in the net for, you know, like many wins this year and uh, he, he was, he was playing well, but then, yeah, I think it just, things went off there and yeah, they give up seven goals and then go to Rockford and um, yeah. And for things not to go well either. I, I think that's the only, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Peter Aubrey and the ice hogs, you know, kind of work him back up, but it, it felt like the one thing where that, like <clears throat> the one guy you didn't want to rush too soon. Yeah. I mean, the whole point was that it was, of signing Morazic or uh, get, trading for Morazic and signing Staylock was to not put Arvid Soderblom in the NHL this year, right? Yeah. To keep him safe in Rockford mentally. And they brought him up and he played really well. I mean, his numbers are atrocious, but he looks every bit the part of an NHL goalie. Like, there's a good 
a real good goalie there. And, you know, I, I, I forgot who I was talking to. It was one of the players, and I asked him, like, do you have to, like, be in his ear and remind him that, you know, don't get discouraged by the score? Like, we all know how good you're playing. He's like, we tell him all the time. Like, all the time, the players are not apologizing to him, but we're constantly telling him, look, you're doing great. Don't worry about the numbers. You're doing great. And I think he'll be fine in the long run. But, yeah, I mean, that's he ended very poorly up here. Yeah. That, uh, that uh, Capitals game where uh, – and, and, you know, it's going to take some time for him to mentally reset. That's a pretty good Rockford team down there. I'm sure he'll get back on track. But ideally, he doesn't see the NHL again this year. Yeah. I, I guess – like yeah, with Stalock and Mrazek, like there was the possibility, like it, it came again and be like, you know, these guys aren't exactly, you know, they haven't been healthy. Like this, it felt like right. the, the worst case scenario came, came to life. And, and yeah, I don't know how the, I mean, it's challenging protecting that, but I, I think the Blackhawks knew that this was a possibility that, um, you know, Stalock was a concussion. So that, you know, that that's difficult to predict, but uh, Mrazek's had some groin issues again. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it felt like it, it, it wasn't unexpected that those guys were been injury prone or that they've been out and that you've had to, you know, accelerate solder room. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be curious. I like, Rockford has been good. And I wrote about that like, a few weeks ago. They, you know, had Vlasic's injury now, which doesn't help them and Phillips being up and, you know, some of the Blackhawks, um, you know, Tenority being hurt and stuff kind of pushes some of those guys up. But for the most part that, you know, they have a lot of veterans in Rockford and they're still competitive. So, um, and I'm sure, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, with the schedule, the way that Rockford plays, it just it, it gives Soderbrun probably more time on the ice to, you know, work on development that's, and focus on those issues. But, yeah, I feel like that was the one area where it was like, ah, that I felt like that was a possibly going to go wrong and, and it has gone wrong. So um, we, we were talking before we got on a little, some about the potential rule changes, and I wasn't that familiar with it, but you had mentioned that there was a, a possible pro- what or proposal of 84 game schedule? Yeah, they, they had an 84 game schedule. Uh, I think early in the mid 90s, I think it was. I remember when I was a kid, they had it for a few years. But there's talk that Greg Wyshynski reported, I think Elliot Friedman backed it up too, that there, uh, there's talk about going to an 84 game schedule so that they can balance it out where you play everyone in your own division four times, everyone in the other division in your conference three times, and then everyone in the other conference two times. So you still get every player in every rink throughout the league throughout the year, but you also kind of boost up some of those rivalry games. And, uh, the, you know, the way I think the way that they would balance it out is by, uh, cutting back on the preseason, which we'd all love to see uh, a yeah. four game or a six game cap on the preseason. I think what was it Edmonton played eight preseason games yeah, this year. I think crazy, it was yeah. it's insane. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is the NHL preseason is only like a week and a half long as opposed to like the NFL one, which is just months in baseball, which is, 40 games or whatever and we all hate it so much that we're trying to get it even shorter but um the initial report was like eight games a a year against your division opponents i was like oh god no not you've already (laughs) ruined the playoffs let's not do that too like there's only so many times i could see the minnesota wild and the st louis blues but um it's interesting i you know there's talk that maybe that would incorporate some of the uh the as as we coined it the tave schedule which they did during covid which was you know start you know keeping a team in the city for a couple of days at a time to get a couple of games in and limiting travel and, and protecting players health and sleep a little bit better i'd love to see more of that i really liked that setup during the covid season and i think that fans would enjoy that not yeah. to be in the building for it so uh I, i'm just glad to see I, I don't know what'll come of it but i'm glad to see the nhl is at least evaluating the possibilities of things because gary bettman's always so dismissive of changing anything like adopting an nba style play in tournament he's like hell no nobody wants that you know he's always you know it's like 
<laughs> his quote a couple of weeks ago about like, oh, nobody minds the uh, digital dasher board ads. They're great. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Yeah, Everybody hates them. They're horrible. <laughs> so um, it's good to see the NHL taking something seriously that might actually be beneficial. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm always hesitant to adding games, but I guess if you're you're decreasing the I know there's already so many of like like we've we've talked for years that like a 70 game NHL schedule would be perfect. Like yeah, 68 70 yeah. games would just be perfect. It's such a long season, and the season's going from early October to like the end of June now. Like Pierre LeBron always gets on this uh, on this hill every year about the, the Stanley Cup should be handed out by May 31st every year, and I'm all for it, man. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's crazy when you see like. You know, you're in the first round of the playoffs. You're like, on this date in 1979, the so and so won the Stanley Cup. It's like, what? Now, April? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be all for cutting the schedule and adding some kind of in tournament. It just it, it adds. Like I, that's what I love about the Premier League and some of that's like there's there's teams that are well out of it and aren't going to compete for the Premier League championship. But they um, and the fact that other teams take don't take the other competitions as seriously sometimes. So. Yeah, like other teams win it and it just it gives fans something you know a bit of hope and um you know we, we had the round table today with um all the teams who could uh, be within the bedard sweepstakes and um yeah i mean all those teams are are there no one no one's thinking stanley cup like it's i know everyone points to st louis blues being in last place in january and turning around but it, it's so rare like none of these teams are they feel like it's it, yeah they're just it's bad luck or a goalie's gonna change anything like they're just yeah the hope is lost and now it's all kind of turns out to like are we going to be the worst team or not you know yeah i, I walked into the arena on wednesday night and i'm like oh my god there's still like 50 of these games left like, <laughs> like what the hell are we going to write about what the hell are we going to talk about what the hell are people going to watch i mean i've been impressed by the crowds like it's still like you know getting 15 16,000 people at a blackhawks game right now is rather impressive to me and you know people are still reading our stuff and listening to the podcast we love and appreciate all of you um, it shows what a hearty fan base this has become. But good God, like, what's it going to be like in March if Kane and Taze get traded and Domi and Athanasiu? Like, what in the holy hell is this team going to look like on those long road trips in March? Oh, my God. It's going to be just brutal. Yeah. And I, uh, I I plan to be in Rockford a lot and go and see Bedard and Fantilli and <laughs> try to get out. <laughs> I'll just follow uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze around the country. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, but we do, we, we did put out a call out for questions. We have a lot of questions, so maybe we can, uh, I'm sure we'll be asking fans and do we feel professionals that we are, like, we have not vetted any of them. We haven't looked at them ahead of time. So, uh, this could go very wrong very quickly. So the first question from Marina, Marina, 
since we're likely to get the first pick, uh, is it safe to assume we will pick Bedard, or is there a different prospect that you think may take his spot? Uh, well, the, the first pick, it, it if you finish the worst team, it only guarantees you one of the top three picks, and usually that's not the greatest thing, but this season it is because of um, you know, having Corey Promen on the podcast a few weeks ago, and you should you should check that out if you haven't listened to it. But he he got into it about uh, about how the first the first four prospects, you know, potentially could be top picks in other years. So I, I think that's you know, regardless of where the Blackhawks, um, well, yeah, the Blackhawks want to finish last, to guarantee themselves one of those first three picks, and then uh, you know, it, it seems to go right now. It's going Bedard, Fantilli, and then Mitchkoff, or uh, who's the other guy? Now I'm blanking on um. Carlson, Carlson, um, and the Mitchkov has its own, you know, like if the Blackhawks get the third pick, uh, there's certainly questions about Mitchkov because he signed through, I think, 2025 in the KHL. And, um, so it, it kind of delays. It really, it really feels like, they, like Mitchkov has to wind up in Arizona, right? Because his time frame matches up with their time frame for the new arena. It makes too much sense, you know, that they, they could just limp along these next three years, just draft Mitchkov now, and then he comes in. And they got their star attraction right when they walk into their new arena in Tempe. It just makes too much sense. Yes. Um, from Sandman 730 World Junior Championship Preview, which Hawks prospects are participating? Who should Hawks fans watch? Uh, well, one, you can you can watch Bedard and Fantilli and, and some of those draft prospects. So I think that's a – I'm sure the Blackhawks will have personnel filled there like most teams. But um, one, those guys. And then the Hawks have a uh, bunch of players in Canada – I wrote about it a little bit. Lucy was in camp, but it was uh, Colton Dock, Kevin Korchinski, Ethan Del Mastro, and uh, Nolan Allen are all on the team. And then uh, there's one Sweden prospect too. Um, he's actually the captain. Oh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, it's uh, I'll look it up. But um, yeah, he he's not much of a huge. Pro- he hasn't had much of a luck in the SHL, but he's. Uh, and then I think well, Frank Nazar probably, you know, potentially could have made it for the U.S. if he wasn't hurt. Um, and then Ryan Green, who was at uh, Boston University, got cut from the Canada team. So there are five five prospects in the World Juniors and then a bunch of draft guys that um, certainly could come into play. Um, got a question from Jenny. She asked, uh, why, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, why Max Domi was included in that really cool uh, Last Supper photo they took on the on the Chicago River. Uh, when when all the guys were in town for Marion Hosa's night, if he's only here on a one year contract, and this is what I'm saying, everybody really likes Max Domi. He's fun to have around. He's a good teammate, and you know maybe they, you know, it is interesting to see him out there with Keith and Seabrook and Crawford and Hosa and Taze. Uh, he's one of the guys, and uh, you know you never know who might become a long term piece. Not everybody has to be 19 years old to be considered a long term piece of the future. It's possible if you're only going to get a third or a fourth rounder for him. Fuck it, keep him. Victor Sternberg's the other prospect. Yeah, it was it was a little odd for it was a little odd for Domi to be in the picture and and, and even Jones a little bit. I just I thought um but it, it sounds like they wanted to include some current Blackhawks and kind of have a like a you know like the past and the passing of the torch. Yeah, sort of thing. <laughs> so it was uh, yeah, it, it was it was sort of odd because there weren't many because like a Doc or a Debrink it probably would have made a whole lot of sense, but yeah, there weren't, you know, like there aren't that many, like type of guy in there. <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, how, how many from Alex? Uh, how many players do you think get dealt at the deadline? More specifically, who and for what return? Thank you in advance. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Cameron Taves are the big ones. I mean, I, I think Kane brings back a first rounder and a prospect. Um, I, I don't know what Taves brings back. I and I think I think you get a second rounder for Taves right now. 
Yeah, I, but I think if, there, if, you, if, might, if you might you might need a third team to be involved in this. Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. You will. Yeah. Um, I, I think Domi and at the CU will be dealt. I think the Blackhawks would love first rounders. I'm not sure how realistic that is. Did, Jack Johnson could be an interesting one. I mean, a, I mean, Don Lucision basically destroyed Jack Johnson as a human being in his 16 stats this uh, uh, today. Uh, just absolutely annihilated him for his numbers. But uh, he's he's a you know he's, he come off the Stanley Cup win last year. He played uh, uh, a decent role for the for the Avalanche last year. Everybody loves Jack Johnson. Everyone loves a veteran defenseman. He could be someone's chemo team, and you never know. So he's a possibility to get moved. Um, you wonder about the goalies. It's very unlikely goalies tend not to get traded. But uh, if, if a team is in dire straits, that's always a possibility. Yeah. I think the fact that Mirazik's on uh, has another year left that I, I don't think that you know. Makes like it tough. A, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the only other guy that's on the one year has one year left is Jujar Karad. So I think something like that potentially. Um, but again, you were talking about fourth, fifth round picks, and even for Anna, the CU yeah. and Domi, I, I think it's you know I was told I think third or fourth round was realistic. So, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll see what the production is like. And but it's, I, I think, it's wild, isn't I think, it? I mean, the, the Blackhawks once got a first round pick for Ryan Hartman, like long before he became like top line center Ryan Hartman. Yeah, but I, I think that I think part of that was that people for like Nashville foresaw re-signing Hartman and had, you know bring him on a cheap deal, and like it's yeah. these guys are mostly rentals. I I don't. Unless you, re- I mean, unless unless you foresee, you know, like trying to resign Domi or Anthony, but for them to become UFAs, like I think Hartman, there was, uh, yeah, the draw was that he was an RFA, and there was, you know, like they felt like there was some potential there, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, GMs are all they all do crazy things, so anything's anything. Things change, yeah, when it's February twenty eighth, March first, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Jay Buban asks, tank seasons take a toll on players, but how do they affect beat writers for traditional media outlets? Game recaps lament every loss and celebrate the rare win when the opposite should be true. How do writers navi- nav- navigate the dichotomy between future success and current failures? Um, he did say traditional media outlets. I don't know if we qualify as that. It was owned by the New York Times now, so we're legacy media now. But um, uh, we we have the advantage of not really having to write about every single game. We certainly don't do traditional game stories like we did in recent years. We're not doing like 10 observations off of every loss because that would just be the most moribund thing I could think of, and nobody would want to read that. Um, but it's tough. It's, it's no doubt. Like, you you know, you walk into that locker room every day, especially after a game, and it's like, well, what what the hell do I ask? Like, Con- you know, Connor Murphy's at his locker last night after their 16th loss in 17 games. And am I going to ask him about the penalty kill sucking? Who cares if the penalty kill sucks? It's designed to suck. Your team has been built to lose. How many times can you kind of ask a guy what's going wrong when it's supposed to go wrong, you're insulting him. You're insulting it, 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 the fans' intelligence. It's it's a tough thing to navigate the game to game stuff. There's always good stories to tell. There's always features to write. We're gonna have stuff throughout the season. We've had stuff throughout the season. There's columns to write. Like you know, when you see the Predators and you can kind of do a compare and contrast. We've done that with a few teams. When the Kings are in town, you can write about how far things have fallen for both franchises, the different trajectories over the years. But the day to day that's where it becomes really tricky. It's just like, I don't have anything to ask any of these guys after a game anymore. Nothing. There's nothing to ask. No, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely become more challenging and it's only going to get more challenging. So yeah, I, I think you, you, I mean, people have seen us move further. Like, I mean, when they were, when they were relevant there for the first two, three weeks, I mean, we were more diving into systems and more of the day-to-day stuff. And now you'll see more prospect stuff and more, 
uh, yeah, big picture stuff. And, um, you know, I think some, you know, the Canon Taves storyline is going to be there until the deadline. And certainly there's going to be a lot of Canon Taves coverage. Um, <laughs> We're going to milk that, baby. Yeah. And the trade deadline stuff will, you know, certainly eat up a lot of, a lot of time and space. It's, you know, it, it, it's too. kind of a shame, too, because Luke Richardson is very, very unusual in that he gets into the X's and O's. Like he will talk the nitty gritty about where F3 is supposed to be on the four check. And, you know, he'll break down his systems for you in a very easy to digest and detailed way. And most coaches are just loath to ever do that. So we have this guy who's willing to get into the, the weeds with us, but it's for a team that nobody wants to get into the weeds for. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think some of it's interesting and, and I think we've written some about it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I don't think, Unless I'm really wrong, but I, I don't get any sense that readers really want to dive into this team. It's it's more about the future. Well, because, because the readers know and we know that most of these guys aren't going to be here on the other end. Yeah. Like, it's not really – it doesn't really matter what the second power play unit is doing and what it looks like right now because they're not going to be in the picture when this stuff matters. So that's the fine line we have to walk as writers is like – you. I, I used to always say that when, when, the, when the Blackhawks were really good – it was tough to gin up controversy during the regular season because, you know, if the power play was struggling, who gives a shit? They're going to win every game anyway, and they have the best penalty kill in the league, and they score five on five at will, and they're just destroying teams in puck possession. So it was hard to gin up, and even if they were like a third or fourth place, it's like, yeah, whatever, they're going to be fine. They'll make the playoffs as a sixth seed, and they'll win the Stanley Cup. Now we're on the other end of that, where it's tough to really get animated about anything on the ice because it just – it feels like it doesn't matter. It just doesn't yeah. hold any weight. A uh, question from Kevin Torbick. Does anyone really believe that one player is going to turn this around in, in an effort to get Bedard? They've made this team so bad that in many years out, uh, best case in, oh, they've made this team so bad that it, it is many years out, best case in my opinion. And Bedard is no t- guarantee to get or to be <laughs> special. I think he's he's close to as a guarantee to be special as as we've seen in recent years. Um, and no, it's not one player, but it's yeah, it's supposed to be Korchinski and Nazar and all this. And I mean, it's it. I know the route's different, but it's no different than what the Blackhawks did. I mean, it wasn't that just Kane turned things around, but it was Kane and Taves. And I I know that we're everyone's focusing on this year, but I honestly think next year could be could be worse. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it, I think they're in the the running again for a top five pick. Like it's, um, yeah, like you need multiple really high end players, and and the easiest way to get that is through the draft. So I, I think the Blackhawks get a top five pick this year. I think if they get a top pick next year, they got Korchinski. Um, they have a number, you know, they have Tampa's first round pick the next two years. So all of a sudden you have what seven first round picks within three years, and a bunch of second rounders, and then. Um, at some point they'll spend some money. So I, you know, it's it's not just Bedard, but you need you need a place to start, and Bedard is is certainly a good place. Like certainly McDavid hasn't elevated Edmonton, but you know, like you you've seen what you know McDavid and Dryside will do, and and getting the right players around them, and and Edmonton's even largely mismanaged how they're built, and you know it's and obviously they made a pretty good run last year, but I think the Blackhawks are hoping to get the players around them better too. And, you know, the focus is on the defense and I think the focus will be on the forwards going forward, but it's Bedard's a really good place to start. And not that this rebuild's going to, who knows how it goes, but I, I I, I don't think the Blackhawks are off track and what they're doing now at this point. I get the, I get the, I get the concern though. I mean, you look at Edmonton with Connor McDavid, you look at Toronto with Austin Matthews. What have they really done so far? I mean, the, the Leafs haven't gotten out of the first round. Edmonton got swept in the conference final last year after finally getting that far. And then you have, you know, Alexis Lafreniere was supposed to be a generational talent. 
Shane Wright was going to be a generational talent. Now their stock dropped a little bit as they got closer to the draft, whereas the Dards keep staying high. It really does seem that he's in that, you know, McDavid, Matthews, uh, Eichel kind of territory, which great. That's what certainly every team needs. But I understand. I, I feel like the conversation know. around Bedard has been a little bit different than Lafreniere or, or Shane Wright. No, it is. Like, but I, like, like a year out, though, Shane Wright was a huge deal and Lafreniere was a huge deal. And as I got closer to the draft, it's like, all right, well, we'll see on these guys. I'm saying Bedard, that hasn't happened. Like it just yeah. seems like the, the, the fever pitch is just getting higher and higher. But I understand that, like, you know, it doesn't happen. You, you get a Stamkos and it took a long time for the lightning to get to the championship. For sure. No, it's yeah, taking just, forever yeah, for yeah. Matthews and McDavid. It's not like Connor Bedard walks in and the Blackhawks are contenders next year. You know, when they got Kane and Taves, you know, they, they drafted Taves the next year, they drafted Kane. Then they both come in. And then it was the next year after that, they went to the conference final and then won the cup. That is highly unusual, highly unusual. Yeah. And that's because you had all of Mike Smith and Dale Talon's picks built up where you already had Seabrook and Keith in place. You had, you know, good you Dustin Bufflin, and you had all these players in the system already. The Blackhawks need all of these guys to pan out, just like all of those guys panned out. It's really what the what the Blackhawks did in the late two thousands. Man, that's lightning in a bottle, and it's really hard to duplicate. I I, I don't know if the black what the Blackhawks are, you know are doing is going to work out, but I will say that I I think I wrote about this a few weeks ago, whatever. But there has there's only been one team in the last like twenty years that hasn't had a top five pick be one of their key players like this is how most teams are built is, is through is through the draft and then you know at, at some point you, you trade well and you do free agency well but often it's drafting a couple yeah. of players that are really high end through the draft and then you know getting lucky on some other players and, and building up you know your prospect pool and then and figuring out other ways but most teams are they you know whether it's McKinnon or um you know it's it, even with you know Petriangelo was uh when in St. St. Louis was a was a top five pick for the Blues and um it's uh yeah I don't know I I just and, I, and it's I, largely I, about maximizing them when they're on their entry level or their bridge for sure yeah. that's right like you need to succeed when they're not making twelve point five yeah man, I mean Blackhawks haven't had any success since Kane and Tape's contracts okay. have gone in in effect you know like it's um so yeah i don't i don't know i just i i think if you get bedard i think that's probably a good place to start and then you you certainly oh it certainly helps it would certainly help yeah uh from t have you heard any more news on nazar uh i know you reported the injury first interest to see if you have a timeline with injury is i you know they've been really mum on what the injury is i you know i'm trying to respect that because i think the player doesn't want anything out and the cow you know michigan as university has been pretty um, so at some point, maybe he talks and kind of something's a little bit more revealed. So I, I, I don't want to get into the injury, but um, it sounds like he's progressing. That There's some hope that he could be back by the end of the season. Um, there, there's no pressure on it. You know, I, I think there was a thought that he might turn poor after the season, but I think this may delay that. Um, so maybe he goes to Michigan, goes back to Michigan for a second year. But um, yeah, it, it sounds like, you know, he had surgery and, and he's he's recuperating and they're hopeful that he, you know, gets on the ice by the end of the season is able to play for Michigan, who, um, you know, expected to make a run in the uh, in the NCAA tournament. So we'll see. Um, we got a question. We got a question for you from Marty. It says, uh, can you confirm that Laz is a communist? <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> question. If Kane wants, a, this is from Trip McNeely. If Kane wants a trade, how picky do you think he will be about where he's willing to go, assuming it's going to be a, a team in serious contention? And how significantly could that reduce the leverage the Hawks have to get a fair return for him? Hugely. Hugely. I mean, you're looking at Claude Giroux here, right? Like last year, Claude Giroux 
uh, an icon in Philadelphia, one of the best players in the world in his prime, uh, was entering the last year of his contract and had total say over where he went. And they could only get, what was it, a second-round pick and, 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 a, and a prospect because he only wanted to go to Florida. If Patrick Kane decides he only wants to go to the Rangers, the Rangers would be really stupid to give up a lot for him, right? If you're negotiating only against yourself, then you know you don't want to pull a Stan Bowman and just give away the farm for no reason. So if Kane is zeroes in on the target, whether it's Boston or New York or the Islanders or Colorado or Edmonton, if he picks a spot and wants to go there, the Blackhawks will have no leverage. If he says, hey, any of these five or six contending teams I'm cool with, then the Blackhawks can really you know, get a lot for him. But, but Kane Hose holds all the control here. And, you know, I think fans are going to have to start tempering their enthusiasm over what they're going to get in exchange for Patrick Kane, because the Flyers certainly were underwhelmed with what they got for Claude Giroux. Uh, from Steven Schroeder, discuss the Blackhawks players cards created by Don Lucizen. Lucizen. What jumps out? Do you think the numbers reflect what you're seeing on the ice? I, I think for me, it's just, that's, this. first of all, that's not a question. That's an order. <laughs> the order um I, I think what jumps out is that you know we obviously don't get to see all all the teams all the time and it, it kind of gives you a reflection of how the Blackhawks are like it it tells you um obviously the Blackhawks have not been good but it, it, it kind of puts things into perspective of how bad they've been and and how um yeah, a couple of guys I thought McCabe jumped out you know I thought you know I, I tweeted the other day I thought McCabe's been the Blackhawks best defenseman this year and you know some of the numbers reflect that but it, it also speaks to you know like Kane's Kane was a couple million dollars or something like his worth was based on that. It just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, there's a lot of negative, there's a lot of negative value on those lists. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, uh, you, you got to take everything, you know, even Dom will tell you that his model isn't perfect in every way and he disagrees with it sometimes, but uh, it's hard to argue with most of this, you know, uh, the Blackhawks are bad and their best players are underperforming. They're not scoring, they're not finishing. Their defense is atrocious. Their special teams have fallen off a cliff in the last few weeks. Uh, it, it's a bad team. And you're going to have negative value on your money when there's a salary floor uh, and you build a bad team. So I don't think it's worth getting all worked up about. But uh, it, it's hard to argue with what Don came up with there. Uh, from Nathan, uh, just this first part of the question is interesting. What, what are the chances, percentage-wise, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tage leave Chicago? Like, where, where, where are you at in this right now? I, I have changed dramatically over the course of the year. Like I was over the summer and throughout the first month or so, I was convinced that Kane was looking for a reason to stay and was going to stay. You know, we keep doing these uh, stories where all the, all the writers on staff, you know, make their predictions and we have a new one coming out. I think it's the third time we've done it. And, this is the, and the last question on the list, our editor, Jake Leonard uh, sends these out. But the last one on the list is where will Patrick Kane end the season? And the first time I put Chicago, second time I put Chicago, I didn't put Chicago last night. For the first time, uh, it just he just seems so like he's trying, and he was great in the Nashville game, and I think that somehow made it even worse, where he was generating all these chances and nobody can finish, and it's just like I I I think I think they've he his mind is wandering now, and I think by the time we get to March, I think he's going to be out of here, which is a shame. Uh, Taves, I'm not so sure now. I can see Taves sticking around. I can see Taves signing a two year deal for two and a half million just to be here. Like it probably won't happen, but I'm 50-50 maybe on Taves. I don't know if he gets traded. I don't know if he can be traded now that the goals have dried up. And then in the offseason, I don't know what the hell happens. I really don't. I'm 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 close to almost hundred percent on K now. As long as they can find someone, I, I think he 
he wants out that this is yeah i i, I think it sure I, feels that way yeah with kane i i with with, with taves i i'm i'm 50 50 i don't i don't know if he comes around to it I'm also closer to 100 of him not resigning, regardless. I, I don't know if there's gonna be an offer there from the Blackhawks. Like I, I, I get the sense that they're ready to move on from both, and that, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I get the feeling that they're, this is gonna be just you know just kind of a new yeah new leadership new, new change and you know like I I yeah I don't know I I, I get the sense that it's it's, um. You know, I guess I guess if Taves comes out and says publicly that I want to resign, that the Blackhawks are kind of put in a spot there. But I, I don't think the Blackhawks are coming to either one of them with with contracts in mind. I, I think that they, uh, yeah, I, I think they've obviously made well, things Taves, difficult enough for them to just even want to stay here. And yeah, I, I don't. Um, if Taves, if Taves is still here after the trade deadline, March and April is going to be interesting to see, like the kind of you know farewell tour they get in Chicago, every home game. Is going to feel like a really big deal if they if everybody knows this is the end. I mean that last game against Philly, the April thirteenth, that's going to be a very emotional night at the United Center if Taze is still here and everybody knows he's not resigning. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it. Uh, I guess it depends on if Kane's traded or both. If they end up with teams that still play the Blackhawks at you know at the United Center, like it's yeah. Uh, I I think the Rangers it, maybe they'll actually Rangers finally don't. do a tribute video for one of these guys. <laughs> They said with Strom, Strom got a little something, or Gustafson got a little. It wasn't Gustafson. a video, but they put a graphic up saying, "You know, welcome back, Dylan Strom," and it's the first time. And, and then they also put Eric Gustafson on the screen, and it's the first time that they have welcomed anyone back. They didn't do it for Kubalik. Uh They didn't do it for uh, Eddie freaking Olchek. Didn't get a video when he came no back to Seattle. No Lincoln, no. Uh, the Strom one was interesting because of all the guys. Uh, it's the guy you probably treated the worst <laughs> when he was here. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I think that's covered most of the questions, right? I'm sure there's some other ones, and I feel I'm, I'm yeah. All I'm right, sure now, now we're going to begin the Mets talk. Let's go back to the Mets. So, uh, <laughs> did they decide? Do you, like the idea of, do you like the idea of Correa staying at third? What if what if they don't re-sign Jeff McNeil after next year? Do you move Correa to second base so that Brett Batty can come up? And what do you do with Francisco Alvarez, Scott? Is he going to be the catcher? They finally got rid of James McCann, but is Alvarez going to be the DH? I really don't know where they're going to go with this. You're giving me a look. No, this is not good. This is as, as a Cubs fan. This is. <laughs> I I gotta go jealous. on Tim Britton's podcast to get, to get to get this off my chest. Yeah, I, <laughs> there's all there's like a twenty paragraph like question in the uh, in the mailbag for him. <laughs> Mark L. Um, but uh, yeah, we got uh, we got one more game and then the holiday break and then uh, you're on the road trip. Um, yeah, we got a lot of a lot. We got actually a, a fair amount of uh, kind of fun stories planned for the next week or so. Uh, uh, one of them that I'm writing on, it'll be that'll come out sometime next week is probably the single most self-serving thing I've ever written. <laughs> I haven't written it yet, but I've reported it. So when I write that, it'll be the single most self-serving thing I've ever written, which is with me saying a whole lot. Um, there's, there's some fun stuff ahead. I mean, the season's awful, but we're gonna have fun. Yeah, we we, we got some ideas for for next year, and yeah, we'll keep it light and certainly dive into the rebuild and yeah, the draft prospects and um and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have some guests on too. We'll try to fill up the time here somewhat. And yeah, it was it was nice to yeah, prominent hosts were good, and I'm sure I, I'd love to get Marcus Kruger on still. And there there there's some uh, old school Blackhawks we can uh, we can we can talk. It's actually what we we haven't talked a lot about the uh, 10 year anniversary of the 2013 team. 
Yeah, it's, it's, well, it, that season didn't start until January, so it doesn't really yeah. feel like the 10-year anniversary. Can you imagine a 20, what, 20, was it 24-game point streak to start off the season? 21-0-3. That was our first. Yeah. That was our, we, yeah. we, you and I started on the beat together, me at the Sun-Times, you at ESPN. You were all excited. Uh, I hated every second of it. So it was January, the... I think January 19th was the first game of the season, and off we went. It was fun. Oh, man. Yeah. It seems so long ago. Um, But yeah, we will be at, I, I think we're going to do a podcast next week, maybe, yeah. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, we got to do like a year end. Any? Uh, I'm, I'm, you have any movies you've seen or anything, or anything you want to? Uh, I haven't. The, the, I, I I haven't seen Avatar yet. I need to because my daughter wants to go see it with me. So like, it's so freaking long that it's been really difficult to find like <laughs> the nine hours in a day necessary. So if the snow's not too bad, hopefully we'll go on Friday and we'll see it. Check it do out. You have, uh, do you have HBO Max? I do. Well, the Banshees of an Inner Sharon of uh, is on ESPN. Yes, I know that's it. Sucks. All these great movies are coming out available on streaming, but all my kids are stuck are home now, so I can't watch any of them. Ah, it's home fine. They can watch Banshees of an Inner Sharon. It's not that bad. <laughs> I've been watching. He cuts off his White fingers. Lotus. It's not that bad. I've, I've been watching The White Lotus, so once I get through that, that is very not kid friendly. I'm still on Homeland, on so I, I, I'm on season five, like episode eight. Homeland. I told you, I, I started it from. The I first know, season, man. So it, it's. I'm, you, I'm, you, 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 you only needed to watch the first two seasons. That's all you needed to do. That that was I, I've seen the first two seasons. The whole point was to finish it. So I am that has been my exclusive thing, other than the World Cup for the last like three months. So yeah, uh, I made it through the Crown in like a month, and that that, that was me paying my penance. Jesus yeah. Christ! So I am going to do this, but I did watch Banshees of Inisherin for the second time. I thought saw it in a theater and then saw it again on uh, streaming. Probably a lot easier with 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 subtitles on, right? Oh, stop it! <laughs> Well, I, dude, I watched uh, Belfast with my mom back in March in Florida, and neither of us had any idea what was happening until I turned on the subtitles. So. Yeah, that accents a little Some bit. Some of us need the help. Times. So, anyways, <laughs> all right. Well, we will be back at it next week, and yeah, we got plenty of stuff, and even throughout the break, and we got a fun, uh, yeah, a couple of fun stories next week. You have one, and I have one, and yeah, plenty of coverage. So, for Mark Lazarus, I am Scott Powers, and this is Lazarus Powers. Talk to you soon. I can help even just a little bit